You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my friend Gil Martin, and my name is J.J. Leahy. Gil's a writer for the SportsDaily.com and Cheesehead TV, and in addition to this podcast, I host the Daily Cheese Green Bay Packers News Update. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Guiding you through the offseason from OTAs to training camp, we've got you covered. If you have a question you'd like us to answer for you on the show, hit us up on Twitter at JJ Leahy or at Gil Packers, or you can shoot us an email at asknohuddle at gmail.com. All right, Gil, last week you and I debated on this show Brian Gutekunst's best free agent signing back in 2019 when we went out and got Zadarius and Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, and Billy Turner. I'm proud to report I kicked your butt in our poll this week. <laughs> 73.5% of fans agreed with me that Zadarius Smith was the clear and obvious choice as the best free agent signing of Goody's career. Can't we got another hot debate coming up uh, at the end of the show today. We're going to be talking about which veteran Packer this year has the best chance of losing their job this year. So whether that actually ends up with them no longer being on the team or just uh, losing the, the job that they had last year. You know, in other words, uh, let's say that uh, somebody just magically comes out of thin air and takes away David Bakhtiari's job as left tackle. Highly unlikely, but let's just say. And now he's the right. backup left tackle. I would say that would count. So yep. We're going we're gonna to get into that at the end of the show. Uh, but before we touch on our topic for today, did you hear the news about the Chicago Bears? Go ahead, lay it on me. All right, the Chicago Bears released a statement that they submitted a bid to purchase the Arlington International Racecourse property. They may, in fact, actually be serious about moving on from Soldier Field. That is huge. Yeah, well, they've been there since, what, around 1970, 71? Yeah, yeah, long long time and uh, not many wins in that stadium, so I can understand why they'd want to forget about it. <laughs> All right, here's what we're going to do this this week. We are going to talk about uh, the strengths and weaknesses of the 2021 Packers. And, and obviously, some of this is going to be speculation because we won't really know until they take the field in week one in New Orleans just how good this Packers team is. But there is a lot that we can glean from the roster moves that uh, Goody has made in the offseason, how certain players have looked um, uh, a mini camp, and we're going to try and, and paint as accurate a picture as we can of what to expect from this team. So I think it's pretty clear that uh, we have a big question mark at the quarterback position, and this could either be a massive strength or a massive weakness for the Packers. Yeah. Talk about make or break. I mean, it, it, it really seems like, yeah, you know, I, I wrote an article this past week uh, explaining how I think the Packers are still a playoff contender, even if Jordan Love is the starting quarterback. But you're talking about the difference between, let's say, 
somewhere between 11 and 14 wins in 17 games versus somewhere between, let's say, 7 and 10 wins in 14 games, in my mind. Obviously, it's all speculation, but I would say that's probably a good estimate. Look, here's something we can agree on. Two things we can agree on. This is clearly, if Aaron Rodgers is back, the single most talented roster in football. Second, if Rodgers is not back and Jordan Love is starting in this league anywhere, this is the best situation you could possibly put him in. You got a very quarterback-friendly scheme from Matt LaFleur. You have elite talent surrounding you. Um, One of the best offensive lines in football, hopefully. Uh, Great receivers, incredible running backs. Again, I I can't underestimate or um, underemphasize how big this offensive scheme is where we've seen guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff and um, Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryan all have great success. And you have such a wide range of um, quarterbacks in there from the very elite all the way down to we all know what Jared Goff actually is as a player, but he still was able to get to the Super Bowl with this similar sort of scheme. Obviously, though, there is an element of you do need to be a competent quarterback. The 49ers, when, say, Nick Mullins is under center, is a very different-looking team than when they have Jimmy Garoppolo. Right, and Garoppolo is only, you know, what I would consider a slightly above-average starter when push comes to shove. So, yeah, I mean, look. And, but that's and the bar for the, Jordan Love. Right, and but here's the other thing. Uh, you got to consider the difference between Jordan Love in his first year starting, making his first NFL start ever, actually his first NFL appearance ever, versus what Jordan Love has the potential to become in two or three years. Right, and and that is going to be a massive difference when we're talking about the 2021 Packers specifically. We're not talking about what they're going to look like down the road as he continues to develop. Correct. So I'm going to go ahead and put quarterback in the unsure column. Uh, if yeah. Rodgers comes back, then we don't have any questions. Otherwise, this could very easily be a weakness for the team. No question. Um, Another one I'm going to put in the unsure column is offensive line. I I would like to stand up and confidently say that this is going to be an elite offensive line. To me, there are just too many unknowns right now, partly because I I would say you only have like three guys that you could confidently say will be on the offensive line. And even there, I think we're not confident at all of where they will line up in week one. And a massive part of the equation here is David Bakhtiari. When can he come back and start playing? Is he going to be available week one? If not, you have flux across the entire offensive line. Right. And then, you know, if he, if, and when he is available, how close to, you know, a hundred percent is he, uh, all of these are questions that we don't know. And then, of course, with Lindsley signing uh, with the L.A. Chargers, you need a new center, number of candidates there. You need a new left tackle if Bakhtiari isn't ready to go. And then depending on who goes to left tackle, you'll need to fill in at the position mm-hmm. where, you know, the person who moved to left tackle is now playing. So a lot of, you know, musical chairs going on along that offensive line. I think there is depth, 
I think there is talent, but one thing you need in an offensive line is continuity. And obviously that is a little bit up in the air right now, to say the least. Yeah. So I think that there are three players that I think I can confidently say will definitely be on the offensive line. Billy Turner, Elton Jenkins, and well, you know what? Maybe there's only two because I guess I can't confidently say David Bakhtiari is going to be back and be healthy. Um, well, not for week one necessarily. No, right, right. I if I had to rank uh, the the degree of certainty and confidence that I have in any one guy being at any one position, I think I probably would say Billy Turner is probably your right tackle, but he might be left tackle or right guard. Right. I think Josh Myers is the guy I have the most confidence in to just be at center. So far, the team and the coaches seem confident in his ability to play center. Um, starting week one, there does not seem to be any question in LaFleur's mind, and he has been poked and prodded by the reporters multiple times. Like, well, I mean, do you think you think maybe he's going to need some time to get acclimated? And LaFleur is kind of just like, um... Not really. If that becomes a thing, then I'll deal with it. But no, not really. So (laughs) Josh Myers at center is possibly the only um, player plus position that I feel uh, confident in in saying is going to be a thing week one. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, very uncertain as far as how they're going to line up. But I think we're going to get you know, we, we got a little bit of an idea in OTAs. I think we'll get more of an idea once training camp starts and certainly the preseason. But at the end of the day, look, there's always injuries. There's always a surprise in training camp, probably both a positive surprise, a guy who nobody thought was going to do well, who will do well, and a guy who stumbles, who we weren't expecting to stumble. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, a lot of uncertainty there. The talent is there. The question is getting the right five guys in the lineup and putting them there. You know, the advantage of having guys who are so versatile and can play multiple positions is you usually don't have to go as far down on your depth chart. You have the talent level there, but the downside is there are so many possible combinations that uh, continuity suffers. So offensive line and quarterback, we both have in the unsure column. And let's just be clear. This does not mean like the the middle of the road column. This is the, yeah, if everything goes correctly, this should be a massive strength, but there's just too much unknown. Right. All right. Let's look at a strength. Coaching. I feel very confident in this entire coaching staff. Matt LaFleur seems to have things under control. He seems prepared, if necessary to march into this season with Jordan Love under center. I think that he is a uh, clever and crafty enough coach, that's a tongue twister, um, to be able to take a lot of pressure off of his young quarterback, if need be. And we have seen over the last two years a growth in the floor to be able to adapt as the situation calls for it. And we have had a couple of games where his game, uh, you know, the play calling left something to be desired, but that seems to become, be becoming a factor less and less as it goes on. 
And of course, you have a crop of fantastic position coaches. And I think, Gil, that might be an excellent debate topic for us in the future is who's the best um, the best position coach that the backers have? Yeah, and I think that's a, a promising topic, and I'm, I'm looking forward to debating that with you in a few weeks. All right, another massive strength, running back. I think everybody who has been watching the Packers um, over the last year and a half uh, to two years is super excited about the possibilities here of A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones working together, being that thunder and lightning combo. They're skill set is so complimentary the number of packages that LaFleur is probably going to put both of them on the field for I'm really excited to see uh, and, and I think we're going to see some new levels of creativity and let's be uh, frank about what we saw last season you know AJ Dillon was buried on the depth chart behind Jamal Williams for most of the year I think that makes a lot of sense because Jamal was a fantastic running back with an excellent understanding of the playbook a great pass blocker and I think that they knew full well that not they were not going to have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams both back this season and so I think that LaFleur really wanted to get his money's worth out of Jamal and Aaron Jones and then work A.J. Dillon in uh, more in this season and when A.J. Dillon was on the field, you remember how scared the defenses got? And you saw <laughs> they would just focus all their attention on A.J. Dillon, and you had other guys who were completely undefended. Multiple times we saw that. And I'm looking forward to seeing that this year. Ben Sermon's a fantastic running backs coach, and he and uh, Adam Stanovich and Luke Buckets are going to work wonders, opening holes in the uh, – opposing D lines for running backs to tear through. And something I'm really excited for this year is to see LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett mix up the zone versus gap runs a bit more and keep defenses on their heels. Yeah, I think that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. And I think, you know, one thing that a lot of people forget is that there was talk when Matt LaFleur came in, you know, he was the play caller for the Tennessee Titans the year before he joined the Packers. And when A.J. Dillon got drafted, there was talk, hey, you know, he may want to run almost as much or maybe even a little bit more than he passes, go to a more of a smash mouth kind of an offense. Well, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't start the year at quarterback, we may see something a little closer to that than what we got in 2020, that's for sure. And if they go ahead and make that transition, you know what's going to be much more important than in years past is running back three. Because when you're running all the time, you're going to need a set of fresh legs to come in and spell your, your top two guys more often. So that running back three and possibly no, running back number four spots are going to be very crucial. I'm looking forward to seeing what Kylan Hill can do. We know that he can be a fantastic runner. I still have a lot of concerns, uh, even, um, you know, the, a couple months on from the draft about his ability to pass block. I, I think that that is going to be the biggest thing standing in his way of getting on the field on offense. But when you have a need for running back three, because you're running more, I, that that probably slides down the list of concerns a little bit more. Yeah, and and again, 
as we have stated before on this show, the ability to pass block and the ability to run routes is what keeps rookie backs and young backs out of the lineup. It, it slowed down Aaron Jones in his rookie year. Dexter Williams, we know he can run the football, but again, that pass blocking blitz pickup, crucial. We'll see what happens this year with uh, Kylan Hill and Dexter Williams and a number of other players who are trying to compete for RB3. Here's a big weakness, and it's been a weakness for several years. Defensive line. Now, I am <laughs> super pumped that they brought in um, TJ Slayton. I almost called him TJ Lang. <laughs> TJ Slayton. Um, excited to see what he can do, but he is a rookie. Also, when you look at the type of uh, D-tackle that he is, he's probably not going to be on the field a ton compared to some of the other um, D-linemen. But we do have a new defensive coordinator in here uh, in Joe Barry. The defense is supposed to be relatively similar to what Petten was running. Um, just maybe some different calls being being uh, called in. But in terms of the general philosophy, I think the defense is going to stay pretty similar, which would kind of explain why they still have not made it a big priority to beef up that defensive line. But Dean Lowry is still there. Tyler Lancaster is still there. You got the addition of TJ Slayton all helping out uh, Kenny Clark. Probably going to see, I would guess, based on little things we've heard um, out of Green Bay, that uh, you'll continue to see Zadarius used a lot more along the uh, defensive line. I would like to see them using Rashawn Gary that way. I think that uh, that would be an excellent use of his skills. But D-line is uh, has been a problem ever since 2019. Um, we still had several games last year where running backs were able to just uh, go run roughshod over the Packers, and that D-line was just not able to uh, stop them. Yeah, it, it has been an area of concern for this team for too long. I Look, there is talent there. I am not, you know, panicked about a lack of talent. What I am concerned about is just that a lot of that talent is unproven. And what you're counting on for this defensive line to be good, you're talking about a rookie in Slayton to step up and play well. You're talking about Kingsley Kiki taking another jump forward. I forgot about you're Kiki. What was that? I said, yeah, I forgot about Kiki. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah, Kiki. I mean, that, I think that's the best chance for this defensive line to to become better is for Kingsley Kiki to, to become a bonafide full-time quality starter uh, along the line. And then Kenny Clark, of course, has to stay healthy because it certainly, you know, when he got hurt last year, he wasn't himself until December, really. Yeah, we we also have one other new addition. It's an undrafted free agent out of Iowa, but that would be Jack Heflin. Excuse right. me, <clears throat> Jack. I'm I'm slurping on a smoothie here. I got a mango and ginger <laughs> smoothie, and it's delicious. Well, it sounds um, good. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even buy me one. I mean, dude. <laughs> so Jack okay. Jack Heflin, uh, new uh, D line edition, six three three zero four. Um, but he is an undrafted rookie. Expecting him to contribute? No, but no. still excited to see the possibility of how they could use him. Absolutely. Yeah, and and you know, look, Tyler Lancaster, Dean Lowry, we know what they are. They are relatively reliable, but certainly unspectacular. How's that for a generous way to put it? 
It is generous indeed. All right, let's move on from D-line. <laughs> I think everybody knows what the D-line is. We just wanted to highlight the, the new additions. And I uh, love that you brought up Kingsley Kiki because he has been um, really trending in an awesome direction. Could really step up and be that guy next to Kenny Clark that we need. Got another strength here. And this is an interesting one because it's we're going to go straight from this into a, an interesting uh, weakness. So we're going to start with our strength. And that is the DBs. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go into not even a weakness, but back in that unsure column, cornerback. So the, the DB room as a whole has Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage and Jair Alexander, all phenomenal players at the top of their game. Then behind them, you have quite a bit of unproven talent in Eric Stokes and Shamar Jean Charles. You also have Kevin King and Shannon Sullivan returning. Uh, if Kevin King is still CB2, there are worse places to be, but there is also, I also can't call that a position of strength at a corner necessarily. But the, the, the defensive back room as a whole is a massive strength for this team. And those safeties did help out Um in, in some of the, the struggles that we had at times in the last year uh, with some of the cornerback depth. No, no question. And I love the safety, the starting two safeties. You know, we may have the best duo in the league, and if not, we're certainly in the conversation uh, as far as safeties go. The, the issue with to me at safety is depth and whether or not we have enough of that. Uh, you know, who's behind? Uh, you know, Will Redmond is better on special teams than he is on defense and behind Amos and Savage. To me, there's a little bit of a question mark there. I uh, do. I do really like Vernon Scott and Henry Black. I'd probably put Henry Black a little higher than Vernon Scott. Vernon Scott, mm-hmm. to me, uh, even though he's a phenomenal special teams contributor, he seems to be kind of situational on defense. He's a great run stopper. And I'm, I'm not sure we've really seen enough of him to know whether he's any good in the passing game. But Henry Black is a very underrated pack, uh, player for the Packers. And I'm excited to see what he can do for them this year. Uh, he was an undrafted rookie last year. Um, he never rushed the passer at any point and it was never used on a blitz. But he did play significant snaps uh, both on run defense and in coverage. And he gritted out above average via PFF and uh, his tackling seems to be pretty decent as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing him maybe take another step. I hope so because they definitely have some question marks at, you know, in the depth area at safety. And then, you know, as far as Kevin King is concerned, and I know this is not going to be a popular opinion, but you could do a lot worse at CB two than Kevin King. Mm -hmm. He is inconsistent, but he is not terrible. I mean, he is a rely a relatively reliable CB two on an on an average team. They would be happy with what they you know most teams would be happy with him as their CB two or CB three. Uh, do the Packers want to upgrade that position? Absolutely. Is it the weak link right now in the secondary? Yes. Is that why they drafted Eric Stokes? Heck yeah. So uh, it's just a question of time in my mind, before we see that transition. 
Well, talking about another point of weakness for the Packers, and again, <laughs> we're just a broken record here year after year. I'm still really unsatisfied with where the linebacker room is this year. I know there was a lot of um, optimism about, uh, you know, Goody's casual comment that they you know might bring in a veteran. They did bring in one, Devondre Campbell, a longtime um, Falcon. I believe he's been in the Air for, League for six years. Uh, uh, five. I think, it, I think it's five. He was drafted Four. in 16, 2016. Was that five years then? Yeah, yeah. Now, PFF doesn't like him at all, but uh, Bill Huber from Sports Illustrated put together a great article where he was interviewing scouts and asking them about Campbell, and the scouts actually really liked him, and they even mentioned that, yeah, PFF has not liked what he's done, but we, the scouts who Bill Huber talked to, don't really care um, because we think that there is some context that PFF is missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll get one negative quote out of the way first. Uh, one scout says he's not a great player, but he's probably better than what you've had. <laughs> <laughs> Low bar, but yeah. <laughs> oh man, if that doesn't just sum up every little thing that the Packers do when they try and make additions in in free agency. <laughs> yeah. All right, but they're talking about some of his strengths. One of the reasons that. They feel there's context being missed here is um, that Campbell is extremely athletic and um, and and covers relatively well. And because of that, this scout believes that Atlanta was putting him in some situations that you would not usually put your average linebacker. And so he's kind of in like no win situations a lot. Right. I'm not going to say that gives me like a ton of confidence, but it is a reason to be optimistic because if you just look at his PFF grades, the guy like should be on our bench all year long behind Mm -hmm. behind even like uh, McDuffie and Oren Burks. Okay, maybe not Oren Burks. Oren Burks is one of the worst (laughs) linebackers in the league. Uh, But here's a quote from one of the scouts. I could see him being your three-down linebacker. His length really can make things difficult on quarterbacks, and he tackles well, too. So even when he does give up a catch, he usually limits the damage. Um, You know, kind of sounds a little bit like what we were getting out of uh, Blake Martinez toward the end of his time in Green Bay. Although and- a little more speed, which Blake Martinez definitely lacked. Now, great. Blake Martinez is one of the best linebackers in the league. We were not getting that kind of production out of him um, in the last uh, two years of his time in Green Bay. But as soon as he left uh, Mike Pettin's system and went over to uh, the New York Giants, he instantly shot right back up to the top of the league. So I don't think that the issue was ever Blake Mor- uh, Blake Martinez's um, talent. And it is worth noting, you know, Mike Pettin is gone now. And... Um, Joe Barry, I'm saying so many names, I'm starting to um, have a hard time <laughs> coming up with the names I need. Joe Barry is a former linebackers coach. That is his thing. So if if we can't get production out of our linebackers with a former linebackers coach as the defensive coordinator. We're in trouble. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So linebacker, you kind of know what you're getting there. Um, sounds like out of minicamp that we're hearing that Chris Barnes is – uh, definitely linebacker 
number one right now, although uh, Devonta Campbell was not really there for most of the um, offseason program we've had so far, and they definitely have not worked him in yet. Um, but behind Chris Barnes is actually has been uh, Ty Summers. That's an interesting one that I was kind of yeah. not expecting. I was expecting Kamal Martin for sure. Mm-hmm. Ty Sum- but there, here comes Ty Summers out of nowhere, just uh, you know, vying for uh, that starting linebacker spot behind uh, Chris Barnes. Well, look, this is his third year in the league. That's usually when there is a nice little jump in a player's uh, performance where you get to see if they're ever going to realize their potential. So maybe it's time for Ty Summers to show what he could do. All right, let's uh, take a look at the receiving room. And this, I'm not just wide receivers, but I'm also including the tight ends and the running backs. Now, we are losing Jamal Williams, who was a fantastic receiving back. But uh, I think this is a massive point of strength. You know, you got your your really solid running room here, but you also got a lot of talent on the other end of the ball from the quarterback. Devontae Adams is returning this year. Hopefully we'll um, sign him to a contract extension, keep him around long term, but he will be here this year for sure. He's already said he's going to play. Alan Lazard and MVS reprising their roles. Uh, both of those have those guys have consistently put up wide receiver three numbers for us um, and have shown that they are, are great contributors situationally. You have the new addition of Amari Rogers. I'm not expecting him to get wide receiver two snaps in his rookie season, but he is clearly going to immediately step into that Tyler Irvin role. We're going to see him running the jet sweeps. Um, he is a, a pretty good route runner. I'm interested to see, uh, you know, some of his, uh, short passing routes, but also we had a fun highlight in minicamp of him leaping up and making a, a Odell Beckham jr. One handed yeah. grab in the yeah. end zone. Uh, beautiful to watch. Absolutely. And, uh, as far as our tight ends go, um, on the whole, I'm going to label the tight end room a plus you got Robert Tunyon and, uh, LaFleur has been talking to reporters about his desire to increase Tunyon's role in the passing game, particularly in the red zone. Uh, Mercedes Lewis caught, I think three touchdowns last year. And uh, you got Jason Josiah returning. Josiah is still rehabbing from his, what was an ACL tear. It would be really Mm -hmm. nice to have him back. I think that uh, if he can stay healthy, Duguara is going to be a big part of the offense this year. Receiving core, no question about it. For all the complaining that people have done over the last two years about, oh, we need a wide receiver too. This is a big point of strength for the Packers roster. I think it can be. I still am a little hesitant in some areas to say that this is proven talent. Uh, Look, to me, Devontae Adams, one of the best receivers in the league, if not the best. Uh, MVS and Alan Lazard, both of them can be very average and both of them can be very big playmakers at the right time. They need to raise their game and be a little more consistent to establish themselves as legitimate wide receiver twos. Can they do it? I have no doubt. Will they do it? I have questions. Uh, I like the potential of Amari Rogers. I think he will contribute and contribute more As the season goes on, I think eventually he will be an integral part of the offense. You don't know what you're going to get from Devin Funches two years uh, after he's played one game in the last two seasons. EQ, 
inconsistent, but certainly talented. Uh, and then you have your Malik Taylors, your Reggie Bagletons, and, and, and so on, fighting for those roster spots. But uh, a crowded group, a talented group, but I still don't see a proven wide receiver two caliber kind of guy in this group yet. The potential is there, but I have to see it happen on the field. Well, I mean, look, last year, uh, wide receiver two was handled uh, unquestionably in a committee role. You had uh, uh, Robert Tunyon took a, a massive load off of Devontae Adams' shoulders. You had Aaron Jones. Don't write off these running backs. And even A.J. Dillon is a surprisingly good receiving back. But uh, Aaron Jones, Robert Tunyon, and then a combination of MVS and Alan Lazard. Um, over the course of a full season, did any of those guys get wider two, wide receiver two snaps? Absolutely not. But no. um, on a week-by-week basis, you always had somebody stepping up and filling that role. And it seemed to be situational. It seemed to be, depending on the matchup, oh, uh, NVS is going to have a big day today because um, the the deep threat is going to be a particularly effective weapon here against the defense we're facing. Um, you know, this time the linebackers are a big issue. We're going to see Aaron Jones utilized in that passing game and just just a, a lethal, just you know, again, and again, and again, relentless. You know, these short passes. Uh, over the middle to Aaron Jones. Sometimes he's actually running running routes and catching him deep. Saw that frequently. I think uh, week two against the Lions was an awesome example of that. So consistently over the course of a whole year, did anybody get that those kind of touches? No, but on a week-by-week basis, you always had somebody stepping up and uh, filling that wide receiver two role. It just wasn't the same guy every week, and I would not be surprised to see that continue this year. And in fact, I expect it both this year and probably even next year. I think you're right that it was filled. I think injuries had something to do with it. I think Lazard was scheduled to be the WR2. And then likely, yeah. After he got hurt in the Saints game, which was his best game as a pro up until that point, uh, I think he would have had, you know, a pretty good handle on it. But then, you know, it took him a while to he took we missed six full games and then it took him a while to get back to full strength. Uh, MVS, love his speed, love his heart, but he's got to get more consistent with his hands and his routes. And yeah, I mean, the problem with the committee approach is it's less reliable than knowing that, hey, this is the guy. This is the guy we're going to go to. I don't mind having other guys who you can turn to depending on situations and matchups and all of that. And I know the talent is there with this group, but I just want to see someone establish themselves as the number two option. Mm, Maybe another future debate topic here. Mm. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get to one final point here. And that is stability. I think stability actually is a problem this year. Clearly you have, the Aaron Rodgers drama surrounding the team, a lot of potential there for uh, things to be a little bit messier than usual. Um, and maybe the uh, offseason and preseason programs are not progressing the, the way you'd like to see them. You also have um, injuries to big players. We already talked about the instability along the offensive line, and, and we have no idea who are going to be the uh, starters in week one. 
You got other guys like uh, Josiah DeGuara who are rehabbing some injuries, and they should be big focal points of uh, the offensive scheme. And not only did they miss a lot of last year, which you don't like to see, but also, as of right now, still rehabbing and unable to be taking part in, uh, in, in practices and things. And then you have, you know, your, your new defensive coordinator here. Should the yeah. defense take a step forward? I'm not sure. I, I think long-term you would say, yeah, uh, I, I would say by year two, the expectation is a step forward. Maybe they will take a step forward this year, but I think most people looking at this situation would say year one of a new defensive coordinator here, you'd expect to see a slight regression from last year as guys are you know, learning the new scheme. And we have heard that they're trying to make it as similar as possible and use similar terminology. So there's less of a, of a curve and maybe that'll work. I would love it. But as of right now, uh, that there, there's just not that stability you'd like to see to continue building consistency off of last year. Yeah, and you know the the other factor is to me, yes, there probably will be a step back. But what you want to do is have that step back be September and October, and then by the second mm-hmm. half of the season, and certainly, hopefully, depending on the quarterback situation and a, a number of other factors into December and January, where by the end of the season, by into the playoffs, this team is comfortable in the defense and the regression is an eight-week regression or a 10-week at most regression and not that big of a, of a step back. And then you learn the defense and you take two steps forward. All right, Gil, I know that you have one last topic that you do think we should cover on here. Yeah, special teams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they they should take a step forward this year. Uh, they they have brought in competition for Mason Crosby, J.K. Scott, and Hunter Bradley. We have uh, two guys at each of those three positions. They also Goody um, during the draft. We talked about this before a couple times in the podcast that he specifically said that special teams was something he went into this draft thinking about, and that his last two picks, which are of course Isaiah McDuffie and um, Kylan Hill. He called them out singularly as um, guys that he drafted with special teams in mind. So it is a point of um, of importance to Goody, and he did uh, Matt Lafleur did hire a new special teams coordinator. But listen, I'm not holding my breath. This is Green Bay, and uh, <laughs> when was the last time that we saw a good competent special teams unit in Green Bay? It's been too long. It's an area this team needs to address. Hopefully, what they've done in the offseason will help, but special teams is always sort of the last area to come together because it depends on younger players who are just going to fight for those final few roster spots. Let's at least get into the middle of the pack this year. That would be make me very happy. Absolutely. All right, debate time. Let's get into this. So uh, I won the poll last week, so you get to pick first uh, and, and defend your choice for the veteran that you feel is the most likely to lose his job this season. Yeah, uh, tough one. There's a lot of good possibilities, but to me, uh, the way they're talking up Rashawn Gary, the way Rashawn Gary seems to have uh, you know, took a step forward last year, seems to be taking another step forward this year. So far in OTAs, uh, I, I think he replaces Preston Smith as, uh, you know, the number two edge rusher beside or behind Zadarius. 
Oh, I'd love to see it because Rashawn is such an animal. What a beast. The athletic numbers <laughs> are off the charts. Rashawn Gary scares me more than Zadarius Smith, and that is saying something because Zadarius Smith is one of the scariest yep. guys in the league. I would love to see that happen. I just when I look at how much they're paying Preston and how much uh, the the coaches and everybody really trust and rely on Preston and have for a couple of years, I, I I just I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to make the move yet. I, I hope they do, but I just I don't think it's going to happen. Well, and don't forget that uh, Joe Barry has previously worked with Preston Smith in Washington, so there is some relationship there. Uh, presumably that means that uh, Joe Barry trusts Preston a little more than he would a guy like Rashawn that he just doesn't know. Although, obviously, Rashawn has the talent there and the the athleticism that Preston doesn't. The guy I'm taking this year is a guy that they have desperately been making moves to try and replace, and that is long snapper Hunter Bradley. They signed Joe Fortunato to come in and compete with him, and then they tried to sign a third long snapper and were unable to because uh, I believe San Francisco snapped him up. But they have been looking. Uh, I think that there's, there's serious competition here in training camp for Hunter Bradley. I think you look at how much money he's getting paid as a, a drafted long snapper who's been on the team for several years. And you look at the production that you're getting out of him. Look, you know, long snapper is important, but you know, in terms of, of, you know, the, the max upside for a long snapper, uh, the range just isn't that big to where you can justify throwing that much money at Hunter Bradley. When you can find a guy um, off the street who number one might give you more consistency because consistency was a big problem last year, but also save a lot of money. And I just don't think that the performance we've gotten out of Hunter Bradley is worth paying that premium because it's it's subpar snapping for a premium price. I don't think he's going to be on the team this year. Um, maybe they work out some sort of a situation and a deal where he agrees to take less money. I'm not even sure that that's possible, though, since he's still on his rookie contract. So to me. Well, that's the thing. The, the, the deal isn't that expensive because he is still on his rookie contract. So he's not getting paid a that much money you you wouldn't save a lot by going with Fortunato or anyone else off the street for that matter I doubt he's making more than 600 grand a year well you'd be wrong there because uh Hunter Bradley is uh scheduled to count $939,000 against the cap really Joe Fortunato is only 660,000 and you might say there's not a massive difference there um but uh Hunter Bradley's contract is up at the end of this year anyways uh, you don't. Uh, you only have nineteen thousand uh, dollars in in dead cap. If you actually, that's a pre June one, so post. That's nah, still the same. Um, but but you look at uh, you look at the production they're getting out of him, and it's it's not been worth it. I would say he's a below average snapper, and they're they're paying him quite a bit more money than they uh, would owe to Joe Fortunato if he wins the job, and the fact that they tried to pick up a third long snapper. Who who in the world? comes into training into minicamp with three long snappers. And that's what the Packers tried to do. And they were foiled uh, <laughs> by the 49ers. And, and you know that that's just part of the 49ers master plan this year is, uh, oh, man, got to foil their attempt to get another long snapper. That's it. it was, <laughs> at the highest level, that was discussed. Yes. Just devious. <laughs> All righty. So uh, you, you, you remain firm in your prediction that it's uh, Preston Smith, eh? Yes, Preston Smith. 
All right, fans, time for you to head to Twitter and settle this. Uh, which argument do you like better? Do you think Preston Smith or Hunter Bradley is more likely to get the axe? So we're going to pin this poll to the top of our profiles like we do every week. Check us out at JJ Leahy or at Gil Packers and vote on the poll. And we'll be back next week to let you know who won. Alrighty, that's it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter again at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy. To stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions, or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com